Welcome to Knowing Him. This is Steve Danielson. And this is Angie Danielson. Join us each week as we explore the hymns of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and share our feelings, insights, and reflections about how each one brings us closer to Jesus Christ. Enjoy your favorites and find some undiscovered gems in our journey to knowing Him. Hello, friends, and welcome to today's episode of Knowing Him. I'm your host, Steve Danielson, and I'm here with my holy hymning co-host, Angie. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> I really like that phrase, holy hymning, <laughs> and I know how much you love the hymns, so I decided that today you are my holy hymning co-host. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, today we are talking about hymn number 199, He is Risen. And though it seems like this should be an Easter episode, this week's hymn corresponds with the Come Follow Me reading in Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20 to 21, where we read about the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. So Angie, you're leading the discussion of the hymn today, so I'll pass the mic (laughs) over to you. Okay. So we're going to be talking about the hymn, He is Risen. Um, The words were written by Cecil Francis Alexander, and the music was written, how did you say this guy's name? Joachim 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 Neander So we're going to talk about him first He was born in 1650 in Bremen, Germany um, Died in 1680 So he didn't live a very long life um, Died at age 30 yeah. um, His father died when he was just a teenager And he went to school for theology, but he wasn't living the life of somebody who would study theology. I guess he was quite rebellious and led, led a very immoral and lusty life, is what it said on hymnsforworship.org. A, a, lusty, a lusty life. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so it sounds like he was known for being pretty wild. Um, but his life changed, and or we wouldn't have the hymns that he's written. <laughs> so I wanted to read this story on hymnsforworship.org about how his life changed. It says, And so, as the story goes, one fine Sunday, he and two of his friends went to church, not to worship, but to make a spectacle out of it. So they were going to make fun of the mm-hmm. preacher and whatever he was saying. But as Neander sat and listened to the sermon, a strange conviction came to his heart, and he was never the same. Another incident that solidified this conviction was during a hunting game. He had wandered far into a steep and rocky hillside and realized that he was completely lost and in physical danger if he tried to make his way back in the dark. Sensing the urgency of the situation, he prayed that if God would lead him to safety, then his future life would be dedicated to God's service. And we could all guess how God answered that prayer because Neander turned out to be one of the finest hymn writers, not only for the pietist movement, but for the Protestant church as a whole. So I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah. He was able to feel the spirit at that church meeting, and it changed his life. And that's something important that we often talk about in the church, you know, being able to feel the spirit makes a huge difference in in how you live your life. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like he made a a big turning point there. Yeah. So I didn't know what the pietist movement was, so I looked that up. That was part of his conversion. Um, Said in 1675, Philip Jacob Spinner wrote a book, 
highest desires, and it was a call for greater commitment to Christian living and reform to theological education. So stressing more of what you do in your own personal life and how you feel in your heart towards God uh-huh. than just all the little details of the, the church. Okay. Um, so piety of the individual person and their life. So was he, he wasn't Lutheran, right? He was like Calvinist or? I'm not 100% sure. I didn't see an actual church on here that it said that that he was part of. Um, but he did work at the Latin school Dusseldorf. Um, oh, yeah, German Reformed, which was a Calvinist. Calvinist church? Yeah. So, yeah, he worked at the Latin school at Dusseldorf, um, and but after a while he started having some conflict of interest with the main minister, the head minister, Um I guess this minister started introducing practices that brought them into conflict with each other that he didn't like. Yeah, so didn't he so, like start having his own meetings? Yeah, out in out in nature, out yeah. in that valley that out, out in gonna, the valley that was eventually named after him. Yeah, we'll talk yeah. about that in a minute. But he uh, stopped attending church services. He started holding his own meetings. He got other people to follow him. So this caused quite a disruption <laughs> at the school. He even went as far as to make schedules and alterations to buildings and say that there was a holiday for his students when he hadn't consulted with the other <laughs> teachers or other people, the ministers. Yeah, so he was kind of just like doing his own thing and that he got reprimanded for that and <laughs> suspended. Um, and But he did end up like promising that he wouldn't do those things anymore yeah. and he could stay on. Um, and I guess there was some sort of rumors going around um, for years that he went and lived in a cave for months because of this and in that valley that was named after mm-hmm. him later. Um, but his suspension was only for 14 days. So the website I was reading said that was unfounded, that he lived in a cave for months and um, things like that. <laughs> yeah, what I was reading is that there, it, that it's likely that he may have gone to this cave or this valley, you know, for reflection and things, and possibly things could have been written in the cave. But like you said, there's not a lot of hard evidence for it. Well, I did read that, you know, he would go to um, this valley near Dusseldorf and um, hold worship services with the people that he was kind of drawing away. And um, he would relax there and write hymns. Mm -hmm. And he probably did maybe did write some in a cave that he found there, but he wasn't living there for months and months. Yeah, the suspension was only two weeks. Yeah. Um, So do you want to tell us about the Neander Valley? (laughs) Yeah, so the the valley near Dusseldorf where he would hold these services was eventually named after him, and that is where the uh, first Neanderthals were discovered. The Uh, remains. The remains of them were discovered in this valley, and so that's why we call them... Neanderthals because they were found in this valley yeah, it's named really after <laughs> uh, Joachim Neander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting little connection there. <laughs> yeah, when I was reading that, like, oh my gosh, this this composer, which by the way, he was born in Bremen, Germany, which makes him a Bremen town musician, which I think is amazing. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I don't funny. know if he's the the cat, the dog, or the or the rooster, rooster or, or the donkey. I don't know which one he is, but. <laughs> 
He's a Bremontown musician. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so he wrote 60 hymns, but 10 years after his conversion and he started writing hymns, he got tuberculosis and he got it pretty bad. Um, but he stayed faithful through all of that trial. Um, and he, there, there was a quote by him that said, Rather will I hope on even unto death than be lost through unbelief. And then just before his death, he quoted on his deathbed Isaiah 54.10, which I thought was um, apropos since we just you just did this hymn last night with Enzyme. The mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart mm. from thee. So um, those who don't know, Steve conducts Enzyme Symphony and Chorus in Seattle, and last night was our last concert. And... Um, they did this song by Rob Gardner that that's, quotes that scripture, yeah. which is beautiful. Yeah, it's a great piece. Yeah. Um, but um, Neander died at the young age of 30, which is, which is really sad. Um, he had a lot of potential. I wanted to read this thing about the, the end of his life um, on hymnsforworship.org. Says, who would have thought that a wild and carefree man would pen such great hymns, thanks to the power of the Holy Spirit, who can convict men of sin that they may also do good, ye that are accustomed to do evil. And that's quoting Jeremiah thirteen twenty three. So, thought that was really good. He was able to change and become a holy man when before he was wild and yeah. evil. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have precedent for that before i mean look at alma the younger yeah yeah paul paul yeah yeah um one of his most well known and loved hymns is one of my favorites praise to the lord the almighty and so i thought that was pretty awesome (laughs) that he wrote that hymn and he wrote the the text and the music for that one yeah so that's that's always a fun one to sing um and I think a lot of his hymns were really like lusty and like excite, full of excitement. Well, and he was a lusty young man. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So they were they were more of these joyful and like praising songs. Um, but he is risen. The words were written like two hundred years later, so right. they were not connected with each other at the time he wrote the music. So, yeah, so the the text originally. Uh, which I, I won't torture you by making me by making you listen to me read all this German. Unser Herrscher, Unser König. That's first line. Our ruler, our king. So this is the the first verse of what he originally wrote. Our ruler, our king, our highest good. Glorious is your great name, because it works wonders. Praiseworthy, near and also from afar, from the earth to the stars. So that. Would, well, that's the Google translation. Yeah, of the German. Yeah, of the German. So he originally wrote a, a six-verse hymn. Um, that went along it, with Yeah, it's a, it's a praising uh, praising God uh, type, of, type of hymn and very lusty. Yeah, I mean, this is another one of those hymns like Praise to the Lord the Almighty that you just want to sing out really loud and, yeah. <laughs> and joyfully. Yeah, I find yeah. myself whistling this tune frequently. Yeah. (laughs) 
So let's talk about Cecil Francis Alexander. The first thing that shocked me was that this is a woman, because <laughs> I picture the name Cecil being a man. So yeah. <laughs> I was surprised that it was a woman. Um, her last, her maiden name was Humphreys. So um, she was born in 1818 in Red Cross, Wicklow, Ireland. So Wicklow County, Wicklow is pretty famous in Ireland. And she died in 1895 in Londonderry, Ireland, uh, which I think is funny. Londonderry, <laughs> like the Londonderry air. Like I'd never thought, I never thought of that being one name of one town. Like Londonderry was a town. I thought it had something to do with London, England. <laughs> I'm naive. <laughs> the, the dairy, the dairy cows in London. That's right. <laughs> Um, so she started writing poetry as a young girl. She'd write some in her school journal. Um, and she married Reverend William Alexander, who later became an Anglican bishop in Ireland. And she, sounds like she was a pretty amazing woman because she dedicated her life to the poor and the needy. She would travel around the country visiting the poor and the sick and um, giving them food and clothing and medical assistance. So I thought that was pretty neat. She also founded a school for the deaf with her sister. Oh, wow. uh, That was pretty cool. Um, she mostly wrote poetry and hymns for children. So a lot of the things she wrote were, a lot of the books that she compiled were for children. Um, a lot of them were based on the Apostles' Creed, baptism, the Lord's Supper, prayer, the Ten Commandments, different things like that. And she wrote more than 400 hymns. Wow. So she wrote a lot. Some of her more, more po like the ones that are still known today, some of these I didn't know, but some of them we have in our hymn books. So um, in Nazareth in olden time, I've never heard of that one, All Things Bright and Beautiful, which is in our primary right, book, yeah. book. Um Once in Royal David City, so that's one of our Christmas songs that we have in our hymn book. And There is a Green Hill Far Away, which is another one of our sacrament hymns. Mm -hmm. And Jesus Calls Us O'er the Tumult. I'd never heard of that one. And Roseate Hues of Early Dawn, which I'd never heard of. Wow. <laughs> but that said, those were the most common ones still today. <laughs> I want, I don't, they're probably in another hymn book from another, at another yeah, church. The Roseate <laughs> Hues of Early Dawn. Yeah, it seems Just hard to say. <clears throat> so I thought it was interesting that He is Risen, There is a Green Hill Far Away, and Once in Royal David City were part of teachings for children about the Apostles' Creed. Um, and when I thought about There is a Green Hill Far Away, I was like, I guess that does sort of sound like a children's song. Like, I never really thought about it being a children's song. Because <laughs> we don't we think... We sing it yeah, in sacrament for sacrament, yeah. for sacrament. So I thought that was interesting. But I wanted to read in our Latter-day Hymns um, what Karen Davidson said about this. Um... Let's see. So she, she says, Cecil Francis Alexander's most popular hymns were written for children. The text, this text and the text to There is a Green Hill Far Away and Once in Royal David City were part of a series of religious verses that she wrote to instruct children in the meaning of various parts of the Apostles' Creed, which is a statement of belief recited by the congregation in some Christian denominations as part of a worship service. The hymn text, He is Risen, relates to the lines of the Apostles' Creed that state, The third day he rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven. So I guess these were little hymns to help the kids to remember the mm -hmm. different parts of the Apostles' Creed. 
but I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, so the original song had four verses, and the words were slightly different. So, like, our, our hymn says, He is risen, He is risen at the beginning, and the original says, Christ is risen, Christ is risen. Um, and then the second verse in the original we don't have in our hymn book. So it says, Come, you sad and fearful-hearted, with glad smile and radiant brow, death's dark shadows have departed, all our woes are over now. Through the passion that he bore, sin and pain have power no more. I thought that was good. Um, and then there was another slight difference. I think it was in the fourth verse, which would be our third verse. Christ is risen, Christ is risen, and has opened heaven's gate. We are free from evil's prison, risen to a holier state. So in ours yeah. it says... We are free from sin's dark prison. Yeah. So just some slight changes, mm -hmm. but pretty much the same. So should we talk about our Come Follow Me and how this relates? Yeah. So once again, we have passages from all four Gospels uh, because we are sort of continuing on from our discussion of the atonement, uh, the crucifixion, and culminates with the resurrection, uh, which we have uh, in all four Gospels as well. So this is the end of our study of the Gospels. Yeah. Next time we'll be moving on to Acts, so... Um, so our Come Follow Me covers Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 20 to 21, which all talk about the resurrection. Um, I wanted to read from John, um, this, I mean, we could, we could read all of them. They're all really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we might read a little more of it than we normally do, but... It's just so good. It's hard to just pick out a few verses. <laughs> um, so, Steve, could you read verses 1 through... So this is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. 1 through 10? Yeah. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore, therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and he went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which first came to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. So they didn't know yet, but I thought it kind of, I liked how it went along with the, the hymn that says, tell it out with joyful voice. Like, they were running. She was running to tell the disciples, and then they were running to get there to check on this, even though they didn't know for sure what had happened yet. Yeah. Um, that that this, was, this was something important, you know. I'm going to keep reading here, verse 11 through 18. 
But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. As she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. So, I mean, the whole story is beautiful in every single account, you know. It's just amazing and, like, you kind of wonder, like, when we look back at it, we think, how did they not know when he told them so many times this was going to happen? But then you think, we, re- we read the scriptures, and do we really understand fully what the different things mean until it happens, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, we, we have the advantage of hindsight. See, yeah. We know how the story ends. And so as we're going through the story and reading it, we're like, oh, how could they not understand this? But they never seen a resurrection. They'd never experienced yeah. this. And so he could tell them, but it would be incomprehensible. Yeah. Because it had never happened before. And I love how in um, chapter 21, when he comes and they're out fishing, you know, and they say, like, it is the Lord. And they just, like, run to him, you know? Like, they knew it was him. That reminds me of, you know, this hymn as well. Yeah, and it's just an exciting event. Peter jumping off the boat and swimming. He's like, I can't even, I can't Can't wait. wait. You guys are rowing too slowly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I need to get to the Savior. Yeah, I love that. Um, There were some other um, scriptures that I wanted to read that go along with this hymn. Um, the first one is in Doctrine and Covenants 138. So, in the hymn, I love how it says, He has burst his three days prison. And when I read that, I immediately thought of section 138. And this was a revelation given to Joseph F. Smith about the spirit world and what's happening in the spirit world and what the what the Lord did there after he was resurrected, after after he died and um, his spirit went to the spirit world. Um, can you read verses 16 to 18? Mm-hmm. They were assembled, meaning the spirits in heaven. They were assembled awaiting the advent of the Son of God into the spirit world to declare the redemption from the bands of death. Their sleeping dust was to be restored unto its perfect frame, bone to his bone, and the sinews and the flesh upon them, the spirit and the body to be united, never again to be divided, that they might receive a fullness of joy. While this vast multitude waited and conversed, rejoicing in the hour of their deliverance from the chains of death, the Son of God appeared, declaring liberty to the captives who had been faithful. So I love this because 
these were the righteous people that Jesus came and visited, and they still felt like they were in death's chains until this announcement of resurrection was available to them. Because, like, without our bodies, we still feel like only like half, I'm assuming, still only feel like half a person, you know, like you're not whole. And so they still felt captive, um, even though they were righteous. They weren't captive by their sins. They were captive because they didn't have the ability to to live forever, you know, with their body and their Mm -hmm. spirit together. And so they were super excited about this. He has burst his three days prison and he had like burst the prison for them and broken the chains of death so that they could receive their bodies again. And that's true for all of us. And the people at that time, like we know through the restored gospel that all the people that were righteous that lived before Christ were resurrected after he was resurrected. So they have their bodies now, which is amazing as well. And they were awaiting that and they were super excited about that. So I love that. I love that scripture. Um, The other scripture I wanted to share is in the Book of Mormon. It's Mosiah 16, verses 7 to 9. Um, It says, And if Christ had not risen from the dead or have broken the bands of death, that the grave should have no victory and that death should have no sting, there could have been no resurrection. But there is a resurrection. Therefore, the grave hath no victory, and the sting of death is swallowed up in Christ. He is the light and the life of the world, yea, a light that is endless, that can never be darkened, yea, and also a life which is endless, that there can be no more death. So I think that pretty much sums up this hymn, you know, that it's just so exciting that Jesus overcame this thing that none of us can overcome, you know, this death. And that because of that, there's death has no victory and the grave has no victory and death has no sting. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the culmination of the work he was doing. The atonement, he paid for our sins and with the resurrection, he paid for our death. I mean, yeah. he, he overcame, he, he has overcome it all. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I'm so grateful for the Savior for doing that because none of us would be able to do that on our own. Yeah. Um, Did you have anything else to add? I do not. I just wanted to end before we sing the hymn with a quote from the Our Latter-day Hymns again. I thought this was really, really good. It says, Even when a particular Easter morning happens to be dark and rainy, we can still understand the figurative meaning of this hymn's statement that not one darksome cloud is dimming, yonder glorious morning ray. Because Jesus has triumphed once and for all over death, sin's dark prison, that the Easter beam of the resurrection is always with us. The resurrection that occurred on the first Easter morning sends forth a ray of light that symbolizes the resurrection of all mankind. I thought that was really good. Yeah, you know? that's nice. Um, we don't have to worry about whether or not Easter is a sunny day. <laughs> it can be dark and rainy. It often is in Washington. <laughs> um, but that 
it doesn't matter because the the light and the joy that's coming is because of the resurrection, not because of the weather. <laughs> yeah, it's not the sun in the sky. Yeah. It's the son of God. Yeah. All right, should we sing He is Risen? Yep. <clears throat> Lusty. <laughs> he is risen, he is risen. Tell it out with joyful voice. He has burst his three days prison. Let the whole wide earth rejoice. Death is conquered, man is free. Christ has won the victory. Come with high and holy hymning, chant our Lord's triumphant lay. Not one darksome cloud is dimming, yonder glorious morning ray, breaking o'er the purple east, symbol of our Easter feast. He is risen, he is risen, he hath opened heaven's gate. We are free from sin's dark prison, risen to a holier state, and a brighter Easter beam on our longing I shall stream. Well, friends, thank you for joining us today as we discussed the hymn, He is Risen. As always, it's a joy to be with you and to discuss the hymns. We're actually going to be stepping away from the podcast for a bit, so we'll consider this the end of season two of Knowing Him. Uh, We are going to be moving at the beginning of August, and we are not going to have time in the next month to continue the podcast preparation. Keep following us online to know when we'll be back. If you'd like to connect with us, please email us at knowinghim at gmail.com. Or contact us through our website, knowinghim.weebly.com. We'd love to hear from you, what you think about the podcast and about the hymns. In the meantime, I hope you'll join us next week as we sing our way to Knowing Hymns.